We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you're not already there, page 956, if you're using a Bible that's provided for you. Uh, also, if you want to put a little marker in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, uh, we'll be there briefly, uh, Lord willing, this morning. That's page 166, if you're using um, a pew Bible. We just sang the song, Give Me Jesus. Those lyrics... The verses say, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Is that the prayer of your heart when you wake up? Second verse says, and when I am alone, oh, and when I am alone, and when I am alone, give me Jesus. Is that the prayer of your heart and the quietness, the solitude of your life? Then that third verse says, and when I come to die, oh, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. From mourning to aloneness to death, that's the prayer of our heart. That's why the chorus says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You see, that type of hard attitude is the exact opposite of what we read in chapter 8 of of many of the Corinthians' attitude towards their own rights, their own desires. Pastor Dennis preached for a couple weeks on chapter 8. But the words to that song, Give Me Jesus, that's to be the prayer of our heart. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. The gospel and, and how it's working in my life. The gospel and how it's working in your life. The gospel and how it's spreading in our community, in our world. We've already seen in chapter 8 how easily we can be distracted from the gospel because of our perceived rights. And what happens is we start to lose sight of of the power of the gospel in our lives, in the lives of others, in our community. We start to lose sight of the power of the gospel when we start to become preoccupied with our own personal prejudices, our own personal opinions. These things deviate us from the message um, that at the very beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. That's the message of the gospel. Christ crucified and its continual working out of our salvation Every day of our lives. As we come to chapter 9, and and Mike read these verses, we see from chapter 9, Paul is mainly addressing in chapter 8 the Corinthians' perspective. They say, well, I have knowledge. I can do this. And now we see in chapter 9, Paul's perspective on how the reality of the gospel is to guide what we consider important and worthwhile. I like what one individual says. He says, most of the chapter is dedicated to an exposition of Paul's own practice as an example of a gospel-centered approach to one's rights. So if you're tracking with with what the book of 1 Corinthians is saying. And I would encourage you, uh, as we um, go through 1 Corinthians, to take some time, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning or during the week, to to read over meditatively the the passage that we're going to be talking about so that you can catch the flow of what Paul is saying. In chapter 8, he gives the principle that we have Christian liberty, but Christian liberty, as as Pastor Dennis talked about, is the freedom 
to love others as Christ has loved us. It's the freedom to be able to say no even to those things that you could potentially say yes to. Now Paul's not going to just leave them with that truth. What he does in chapter 9 is he now says, I want to give you an example of how this is playing out in my life. And as we read through this passage and we talk about it, we're going to see that, that Paul's issue of Christian liberty, where he denies himself for the sake of the gospel, is that he could be receiving funds from the Corinthian church for all that he's doing for them, but he says, no, I'm not going to do that for the good of the gospel. Paul's example here, it's not about whether to eat meat or not, but the principle that Paul talked about in chapter 8, it deals with so much more than just meat. I don't think any of us are, are debating or, or anyone's finding offenses with us not being vegetarian or not eating meat. We may not be dealing with that particular issue, but there are issues all around us that we are dealing with that the truth of this passage deals with. So this morning, we are going to see, and next week as well, how does Paul work this issue out of Christian liberty in his own life? And how are we then to process this for our own lives. If we're going to be living with the gospel as the priority in our lives, this morning in verses 1 to 14, we're going to be looking that if the gospel is a priority in our lives, even above our own rights, truth number one, it means that we will be willing to sacrifice for the gospel. It's easy to talk about the Christian life. It's easy to talk about wanting to serve God. It's easy to talk about wanting to live for Him when it doesn't involve sacrifice. But really, that, that, that doesn't even make sense because the Christian life is full of sacrifice. We, we should not expect to not sacrifice. Verses 1-14 to 14 show us that we will be willing to sacrifice for the gospel if the gospel is a priority in our lives. And then next week we're going to see if the gospel is a priority in our lives, our service will then be rooted in the gospel. So as we come again to this key principle of, our, of the book of 1 Corinthians that we must cling to what truly matters... What truly matters, once again, it has been repeated time and time again in the book of 1 Corinthians, it is that the gospel has to be primary. So point number one that we're going to look at, sacrifice for the gospel. Let's look at what Paul says here in verse 1 and 2. He says, am I not free... Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. If the gospel is a priority in our lives, we are willing to sacrifice for the gospel. And again, what Paul is going to be talking about is his sacrificing of taking remuneration for his service in the gospel to the Corinthian church. So what Paul says is, I am going to sacrifice for the good of the gospel in my life and in your life despite my qualifications. Boy, oh boy, isn't it easy to look at ourselves and to be filled with pride? Well, I know all of these things about whatever it is. I have gotten this degree at college. 
well, I have all of this life experience, so other people should be treating me according to all that I have to offer. Isn't it easy to get caught up with that mentality? Even in your parenting, it's easy to get caught up with that. Of all the sacrifices I've done for you kids, of all of the life experience and the wisdom I have to offer, you should be listening more to me. And maybe they should. But we see here, Paul says, despite all of these qualifications, I'm not going to demand my rights. Paul's personal example here, let's just look at the, the example. He says, first of all, am I not free? That word free there, now he does talk earlier in chapter 7. Remember we talked about everyone, you know, remain as you are. Be content with where God has put you. And he does talk about slavery and, and you know, if you have an opportunity to be free, that, then go for it. But don't be caught up in that. That's not what spiritually matters He's not talking here about social slavery here, that he's free, he's not a slave. What he's talking about here, his spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom in Christ. In fact, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, he talks about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, he just talked about this issue of meat being offered to idols and, 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 and there's freedom there to be able to say no. Paul himself is free. But this freedom, as he continues his argument from chapter 8, it is not a freedom to do simply as he pleases, it is a freedom to do as he ought. There is a big difference between that. His freedom that he's talking about is not a freedom to do as he pleases. It is a freedom to do as he ought. The bottom line is not simply that we just tout our Christian liberty in the face of others, it is asking God for situational discernment on how we should approach each circumstance. How we can best bring glory and honor to the Lord. That's what Paul writes, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. But then he says, not only am I not free, he says, am I not an apostle. Paul could have easily said, I am an apostle, therefore, of course, I'm going to come into town and you guys are going to treat me like royalty because I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. In fact, he, 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 he expands on this being an apostle of Jesus Christ in the next question, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? An apostle was one who was directly sent or commissioned by Jesus. That an apostle saw Jesus in the flesh and was commissioned by him to carry out the gospel to others. And he talks about in chapter 15, that even though Paul wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, he says in chapter 15, the resurrected Christ, he says, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You remember Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus uh, in a great light. And then later it talks about uh, Jesus uh, was teaching Peter, the resurrected Christ, Paul could have very easily demanded. He could have very easily expected because of his qualifications. But then maybe the, the most strongest example he gives, he's, he talks about his own labor. Are you, are not you, my workmanship in the Lord? That word workmanship, it simply means my work. My labor. 
In other words, he says, I have been serving you. I've been ministering to you. I I gave the gospel and, and the church was started in Corinth. And I've sought to nurture you and to help you. Are not you the very evidence of what I could demand? In fact, in verse 2 he says, um, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. See, the Corinthians were proof that Paul could demand his own rights. That Paul labored among them. And even if others would deny Paul that, Paul, you're not an apostle, you're not, you know, what you're saying is not truth. And there were false teachers that tried to claim that. Surely the Corinthians would not believe that because they saw him. He ministered among them. They were his very seal. That the message he proclaimed was legitimate. In fact, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul writes another letter to the Corinthian church, he says this about them, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Back in in these days, many traveling teachers would have endorsements, so to speak. How many of you when you, how many of you like to read? How many of you, uh, when you're wondering if a book is good, will read the endorsements on the back to see? Okay, who's endorsing this book? What do they have to say about it? Well, back in the first century, this is how a a teacher, a philosopher, would, would gain standing for pe- people to listen to him. They would have people write recommendations and they would be able to tra- carry these documents around. Look how I have been approved so you can listen to me. Paul says, we don't need any of that stuff. The very fact that the, the gospel is at work in your heart, that is our letter of recommendation. Listen, we don't need to somehow have secondary assurances that what we believe is true. What we know is true. The reason why we know Scripture is true is because the Word of God is alive and it is active and it is doing something in our lives. Paul could have demanded his rights. How many times do we hear the phrase, that's not fair? I mean, after reading this, don't you think for Paul to be at all questioned or at all mistreated or not getting royal treatment at all, wouldn't Paul have the right to say, you know what, that's not fair? Even saying it to the Lord. Lord, you know my background and you know how I was trained and you know all of these things and how I'm sacrificing for you. It's not fair that I'm having to endure all of these difficulties and then sometimes not even get some of the perks that can come with serving you. But that wasn't Paul's heart. And it can't be our heart. You see, Paul was willing to sacrifice for the gospel despite his own qualifications. But it doesn't just stop there. Paul was willing to sacrifice for the gospel despite, and this goes right along with his qualifications, the perceived rights that he had legitimately as well look at verses three to seven this is my defense to those who would examine me so if anyone has a problem with paul this is going to be his defense do we not have the right to eat and drink 
Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? See, what we see in verses 3 to 7 is this truth, that Paul did indeed have legitimate rights. But this is key for the Corinthian church to realize. It's key for us to realize if we are going to follow Paul's example on how to deal with Christian liberty. Paul did not use his rights selfishly. His defense was secure. He could have very easily, in the case of receiving compensation, which many probably in the Corinthian church Because people of high status, they would get paid for their labors. People probably started to question, you know, shouldn't Paul even be doing this if if he truly is who he says he is? Paul answers and says, it is absolutely within our rights to receive such compensation from you. His defense was secure. His reasoning was sound. Look at these uh, question after question that he's asking. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? That word right can also be translated authority. Again, it's, it's really going back to chapter 8, verse 13, dealing with if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, he had the right to say no to what others would expect him to do. Do we not have the right to eat, to eat and drink? Kind of tying in that theme of meat. Then in verse 5, second question, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the, brother, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So these individuals, they had wives. We read in the Gospels, um, that uh, about Peter and the brothers of the Lord. Jesus did later have brothers and siblings that came to Christ, as well as other apostles. And 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 what would happen is first, you know, we just talked about marriage in chapter seven, and Paul's kind of interweaving these themes: eating, drinking. Just talked about that chapter eight. Marriage, not marriage. Just talked about that in chapter seven. But even more specific to our context, many of these individuals would travel with their wives and they'd go to different churches and and the churches would, they would support them while they were there. That was was a loving thing to do as a church, right? It it, it was something of of gratitude and wanting to support the Lord's workers. Uh, Thank uh, Uh, Pastor Dennis and I, we thank you so much for supporting us as we seek to minister to you and and, and equip you as the body. We support missionaries. These are all things that churches should do. And this is why it's such a, a, a bigger point that Paul is making to prove what he's saying to the Corinthians in chapter 8. This is how we deal with issues of Christian liberty. Then he asks a third question. Verse 6. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? In other words, he's saying, do we, are, do we not have the authority to make the decision if we deem it best for the gospel? To say, hey, I'm not going to work for a living, but I'm going to devote myself completely to laboring for the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, we read that um, Paul went to Corinth. He met uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were also tent makers. And Paul himself was a tent maker. He, he probably joined with them. And he labored 
for his own self-support so as not to be a burden to this church. And we're going to talk about more why he, he wanted to do that. But wasn't that within his rights? And then he gives a specific, some specific examples. The first one is a military example. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? When you are joining the military, how many of you have, have served in our military uh, in your life? Several hands. When you are in the military, the expectancy is total commitment and engagement, right? Right? You probably didn't go, those of you who are in the military, you probably didn't go into the recruiting office. And and those of us who have not been in the military, myself included, you can imagine going into the recruiting office and imagine you're a strapping 18-year-old once again. And you're like, I'm joining whatever branch you're thinking of. And imagine if the, the recruitment office. Now, I don't know if this is true. I've heard that re, uh, recruitment officers can, can sometimes embellish the promises a little bit. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to see the world, and then all of a sudden you're in the desert. But anyway, um, imagine if in, in, in the recruiting ploy uh, or presentation they said you are going to see the world you're going to you're going to serve along people you're going to develop relationships the only thing that you're going to need in order to travel to see the world even to be in country to be all over the country at different bases is you're just going to have to shell out fifty thousand dollars a year to be able to do that traveling you think that would be a lot of incentive i don't think so And that's really the kind of example that that Paul's giving here. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Basically, the soldier is giving of his full commitment and engagement to the cause. And in return, his needs are being met. Paul talks about soldiers in 2 Timothy 2.4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, a total commitment. And there was the expectancy then of, of self, uh, that his needs would be met. Another example is the example of a farmer who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit. How many of you are farmers or wannabe farmers here? Dave's not raising his hand. Of all the people not to, right? Would it it make sense to not enjoy any of the produce that you have grown? To to, to be withheld from that? Did you know that that even goes against um, what the the law said for... for, um, Uh, individuals in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 20, verse 6. Is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man enjoy its fruit. That's the same passage where uh, a newly married man would be exempt from military uh, for a period of time to be able to, um, to be with his wife. So we see the principle here being very important. Um, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a few chap, uh, passages over, that Paul has watered, that some water, some plant, but God gives the increase. So what Paul is saying here is, of course, it would be expected that one who is actively at work would be receiving from his labors. But then he gives a third example of a shepherd. He says, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Again, the principle of in your labors you are receiving. So Paul makes a case here that 
He does indeed have rights. He could very easily receive wages from the Corinthian church. But in this specific instance, he has chosen not to in his Christian freedom. Now, there were other churches that did support him. It wasn't that every place he went, he he labored with his own hands. But in the situation of Corinth, he chose to. Just as there will be times and situations in our lives where to show a greater love, to show a greater um, uh, uh, promotion of the gospel, we will need to say no to certain things. You see, Paul had rights. He did not use his rights selfishly. Verses 3 to 7 show us. But then, verses 8 to 12 show us that, that Paul did not demand these rights that he could have had. It wasn't a my way or the highway thing. Notice in verse 8, Paul says, I have my freedom. In this situation, I'm telling you, my freedom is even found in Scripture. It says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? So I would say, yeah, I mean, it it makes sense logically what Paul just talked about with military uh, personnel, with farmers, with shepherds. It does make sense on a human level that Paul could indeed receive for his labor, but Paul says there's something greater than that. Doesn't Scripture give the same truth? My authority comes from Scripture. And notice what he says in verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now these passages can, you know, when you're reading in Scripture, sometimes maybe you're reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's easy to gloss over um, these verses because it's kind of like, what in the world is Paul saying? And and we're trying to take some time to, to develop what exactly he is saying and why he's saying it. But he takes here a command from Deuteronomy 25. If you have a, a marker there, look at Deuteronomy 25. You'll notice the, the, the verse that he quoted is, is Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now, why would Paul randomly pick that example? Well, if you look at the broader context, and we're not going to go over all of this, but when you look at chapter 24, when you look at chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, uh, for instance, in 25, he's talking about um, disputes in court, and for a guilty party, there's a certain number of stripes or um, uh, beating a whip that, that, that they would, would give as a punishment, but again, in fairness, it could not exceed 40 stripes. And then you have verse 4 about the, the muzzling an ox when it's treading out grain. It's out there in the fields working. And then in verse 5, he's talking about divorce. Uh, or excuse me, talking about something that's called leveret marriage. That, that we're not going to get into that. But if a, if a brother dies so that the inheritance doesn't get lost, it would be the responsibility of another family member to marry that, that uh, woman. Uh, And and when she has a child, it would be in the deceased relative's name so that his line could continue. Again, laws regarding fairness, others-oriented. Talks about individuals later that that are in fights and and there's struggles. And uh, it talks about being, uh, having a just measuring when you are are selling things all of these things are dealing with others you see the law points us to others isn't that what jesus said when when the man comes up to jesus and says what are the two greatest commandments 
And Jesus says that it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those are the first four commandments. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the next six. That summarizes the whole law. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we who now have the Spirit of God within us, it is the Spirit that produces in us that love for God and overflowing from that love for God is our love for one another. So it is very applicable for Paul to use this random Old Testament example to again cement in the fact that how we are to live our lives is in complete love for God and complete love for others. Notice what he continues to say here after he mentions this command. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So we see here the application of the command that he has just given. Paul is arguing from the lesser to the greater. That yes, God is saying, you need to take care of your animals. But when you look at the whole of the law, it shows God's great, if God is that concerned for animals, what is God's concern for people, for one another? So Paul is continuing his argument that it is totally within his right to be receiving things for his labor. Verse 12 summarizes, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? There were more than likely elders in the church, uh, spiritual examples that would come to Corinth, and they rightfully were provided for by the Corinthian church. And Paul is just saying that if you are doing that for others, yes, of course, we have a greater right. Paul has a greater right as, as really the father of this church to be able to claim his rights. But, and this is the last thing we're looking at this morning, if we're going to sacrifice for the gospel, it's going to be despite our qualifications. It's all about Jesus. Listen, it's not about us and what we think, how great we are, or what our accomplishments are. If we're going to be sold out for the gospel, it's going to be a sacrifice despite our rights. But what it ultimately comes down to is it's going to be a sacrifice by our choice. In humility, we will have to choose to make sacrifices for Christ. I don't know what those sacrifices may be for you, for me. They may, they'll look differently. But we all will have to make sacrifices. And you know, we want to know what the heartbeat of Paul's sacrifice. You may say, what's the big deal? Why wouldn't Paul just receive his support from this Corinthian church? In, verse, in the second part of verse 12, he says this, Nevertheless, in, in other words, even though we could claim, we have even greater rights of sharing in your giving than others, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right or this authority. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Wow. So if there's a scale and you have your rights and the effectiveness of the gospel, which one is going to win the day? 
I know in my own life, far too often, it can be my own perceived rights. But man, what happens is at the end of the day, that's a short-lived victory. To win that argument, to have somebody think a certain way that you desire about you, to get the bigger paycheck, whatever it is, you know, that's a short-term victory. If you were to put your perceived rights in whatever situation you may be going through today, and the gospel on the other side, which one would win out? You see, in Paul's life, and he said this over and over and over again in 1 Corinthians, the gospel is primary. It does not matter, Corinthian church, how you perceive me, how you think I compare to the other individuals that you are so prone to to get behind. At the end of the day, it is preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That word hindrances or an obstacle. It's only used one time in the New Testament. This is the only time it occurs. But think of the word stumbling block. Same idea. To put a stumbling block in the path of someone else for your own perceived rights. Now, what would Paul be talking about here? How would this be a stumbling block? And of course, we can't go back to the the, the first century to know exactly everything that was going on in Corinth, in the church there. But man, don't we know enough with all of the issues going on in, in the church that it was a matter of discernment that Paul made. I am not going to receive compensation because I want to be free to declare the gospel without strings attached. In fact, during this time period, uh, what's called patron-client relationships were very common. So if the Corinthians paid Paul, the temptation could be culturally that they would think that Paul was their client, so to speak. And there could be certain expectations that were placed upon Paul that, that could limit his ministry. Hey, Paul, we're giving you stuff And we don't like the hard thing that you're saying to us. Paul, in this situation, said it is best that I serve as a tent maker. And because he had already made that decision when the church was founded, now he has the freedom to write very boldly and plainly to them as they are now going through these issues. You have to ask yourself, in the situations you're in, what is the the discernment, the leading of the Holy Spirit that I am able to fully minister the gospel with and how I live my life, conduct myself, and, and what are issues that can cause stumbling blocks? I jotted down a few. How about our own opinions, our own preferences of how church should be done. It's easy, isn't it, to lose sight of the Gospel and the working of the Gospel when we easily hold to those opinions and preferences. And before you know it, they become a stumbling block in your own life and in the lives of others. How about your sense of recognition or sense of offenses? Well, this person treated me this way. This person spoke to me this way. This person didn't acknowledge me. Usually what happens is when there are obstacles in the way of the gospel of Christ, 
They are, they are first obstacles in our own hearts, and then they become obstacles to others. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? I mean, listen, if I say something bad about someone, it's going to be brewing in my own heart for a long time before those words ever come out to other people's ears. If I try to claim something that I should not claim for myself, it's going to be because it's an issue I'm regarding in my heart for a while before that action ever takes place. A big obstacle to the gospel in our lives and in the lives of others is pride. Lack of a servant's heart. This can show itself in so many different areas. Another big obstacle to the gospel, dare I say, is a preoccupation with politics. That before you know it, we as God's people are getting together to complain about what's going on to the detriment of the goodness of the gospel that's been lavished upon us. Hebrews 12 talks about besetting sins. Let us cast away at the end of chapter 9, we're going to be talking about the Christian race. And what does the author of Hebrews say in, in Hebrews 12? Let us cast off the sin that so easily besets us and cast off those weights so that we may run with patience. What is the besetting sin that is presenting itself as an obstacle in your life and it overflows to the life of others? A lack of attention to your spiritual life. All of these things are obstacles to the gospel. This is Paul's heartbeat, and this is our heartbeat. We would rather endure anything than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Any hardship, any misunderstanding, anything. Now again, Paul reverts back in, in verses 13 to 14 as we close this section that he gives a guiding principle for ministers of the gospel. Lest, individ, lest his readers think that, well, this needs to be the norm. That, you know what? Paul chose to not receive compensation for uh, his service to the body. So this is the norm. Paul is, explains in verses 13 and 14, no, 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 this is not the norm. I have made this choice in the Lord for the furtherance of the gospel. But here's the norm. In verse 13, he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. This is an example from the Old Testament. We're not going to turn there. If you're, if you're taking notes, you can put Deuteronomy 18, 1 to 5. Paul talks about um, the Levites in the Old Testament being provided for as they worked in the temple. In fact, the, the tribe of Levi was not even given um, specific land like all of the other tribes were. Um, the other tribes were to designate a part of their land in each tribe for the Levites to dwell because they were a tribe that was dedicated to the Lord. So we see here that those dedicated to the work of the Lord uh, are to be entrusted to God's people. And then in verse 14, it says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, so Paul says, this is the norm, but I am giving you an example of what it means to at times say no to your own rights in order for the promotion of the gospel. Now you may say, well, Pastor Adam, where, where does it say that? Uh, Paul says the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And 
Uh, you can look at different passages, Matthew 10.10, Luke 10.7, um, where, where Paul, uh, Jesus sends out his, his disciples. And, and then also in 1 Timothy 5.18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And Paul gives the same principle. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul makes clear here, there is a normal pattern. And again, uh, I just commend you all for, we have been here 14 years, and, and our needs have been met for 14 years. And it's been great ministering uh, alongside each of you. But Paul is specifically bringing up an example that he has made a choice to deny his rights for the furtherance of the gospel. The Corinthians would have to make the choice. Am I going to live for my own rights? Or am I going to live in love to God and others? And at times, I will need to forego my rights in love for the, the Lord, in love for others, for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, if we are going to cling to what truly matters, we must cling to the gospel as priority in our lives.